These problems with the planet, whether it's plastic or whether it's pollution or deforestation, they exist now and they're getting worse and we need to train our students in thinking about solutions on how to fix these things because essentially they're going to affect their generation. and welcome back to Cast Teacherly. My name is Ashnan, I'm your host for today. And on this episode of Cast Teacherly, we are talking about lessons of the future and the future classroom as we welcome one of the fantastic bloggers from the educational hipsters, Alex Moore. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alex. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you very much. Nice and sunny in the UK. Oh, that's great. That's always nice. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for joining us. But before we begin talking about the experimental class of tomorrow, I would love for you to tell myself and, of course, our listeners a little bit about yourself, your history in teaching, and kind of where you are right now. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no problem. So my name is Alex Moore. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's great to be here. Great. Uh, my current role is a lead teacher of innovation in teaching and learning based in Shaftesbury School in Dorset in the UK. Right. Prior to that, I was a vice principal in charge of teaching and learning. And I guess my interest really around education, innovation and research and and sort of progressive pedagogies. Uh, I'm also a student myself. I'm studying my doctorate in education. I'm about about a quarter of the way through, it's a bit of a slog. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's good fun. It keeps me on my toes. And then um, I'm a dad of three. I've got three kids. Oh, that's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm busy. Life's busy. Yeah, very busy. I blog at the Educational Hipsters and... um, I've also sort of got a, a YouTube channel called Mr. Moore PE that I use for my flip learning for my students. And we also post some videos about the future classroom up there. Wow. So a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of everything. Fantastic. So tell us a little bit about the future classroom. You know, where did your inspiration come from and when did this idea originate? So prior to doing my doctorate, I was doing a master's and I was working kind of in the field of flip learning and looking at the motivations uh, for students to work, work remotely outside of the classroom. And that work, combined with my kind of passion for innovation and technology, got me thinking about how amazing it would be to create a classroom of the future where students are learning and they're engaging with content that they'll need for the world of work. And I, I'm not sure about sort of the curriculum in Dubai, but in the UK, it was very kind of led by what we call the EBAC. And it was quite traditional. And the teachers, a lot of the time, were kind of teaching from the front of the class. And I just wanted to shake that model up a little bit. Absolutely. That, that was my motivation. And then I started to uh, reach out to industry and found out about Epson, who make projectors. They were running an ambassador program for schools to become an ambassador school to try out their new projector. So I got in touch with them and they collaborated with a guy called Ross Morrison McGill that you might know from the Teacher Toolkit. And they had come up with this idea called the Cheap Seats where they were saying there's in a lot of classrooms where the projections at 70 inches, students are in the cheap seats. They can't quite see the screen or they can't quite hear it or the image is a bit blurred. Oh. So they created this fantastic new Epson projector, which they've installed in our classroom of the future. And that kind of spurred me into thinking, oh, maybe I could work with more people in the industry and just have this experimental space where we kind of push the boundaries of what's possible in a classroom, combining like the very best of teaching and the best of what I call warm technology rather than disruptive technology. So the technologies that we know work and work well in the classroom setting. So that, that was the kind of main motivation for it. 
Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's exciting. We're in phase one at the moment. So there's two phases to this at the moment. Phase one, okay. we have the Epson projector. We're working with a company called Catchbox that make engagement microphones that you can throw around for question and answer. Right. We have some mosaic 3D software that the kids can interact. We've got augmented reality. We've got some virtual reality. And we're working with a company called Grapnels uh, with a learnometer looking at seven variables within the room, like CO2 levels, fine dust particles, ambient noise, humidity. And um, yeah, just kind of trying to push the boundaries of what's possible. And then phase two is going to be really experimental. We're looking at maybe some mixed reality, looking at biometric scanners, floor projections and animated avatars to welcome the students to their lessons and sort of tell them their objectives. Wow. So lots of technology essentially is the focus. Yeah, it's combining, I guess, technology is only as good as the people using it in many cases. Absolutely. It's combining the best technology and the stuff that we know will really work and have an impact in education with the very best sort of pedagogy in terms of the teachers that are delivering it. So I think if you bring the two together, um, you've almost got the perfect marriage. And what I didn't want to do is just create an empty box full of technology without the guidance from expert teachers. That's very true, because you can, of course, have the technology, but it's important to be able to teach students how to use it, right? 100%. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this idea that students are digital natives as well is, I think if you scratch the surface of that, it's flawed in that, you know, they do know how to use social media and interact at that level, but do they know how to fix a computer if it goes wrong? Or do they know how to debug a virus? And when you dig a little bit deeper, actually, the technology that they use, I think on on the whole, not always, can be quite a bit superficial. So it was about how do we train them up to be confident and the teachers without losing anybody in the process. Absolutely. That's so true. So essentially, a lot of your technology use is based on problem solving, like real life problem solving. Yes, definitely. We, I mean, we've worked with industry quite a lot in the last three years okay. and really spoken to them about what do you want from your graduates that come out of college and university? What what skills are required? And almost unanimously, they're saying the same thing. They're saying we don't really want people that can memorize lists to pass a test. We want people that can think on their feet, can solve problems, can create, can innovate. And, and that's what we're trying to create in this space, really. Yes. Yes, I love that. <laughs> It's so true. It's more than just passing an exam. It's more than just passing a test. Like you need to learn how to use all of this technology. You need to learn how to be an adult. <laughs> Definitely. And I guess I guess I, I didn't really answer the inspiration question. So I'm going to I'm going to borrow a leaf out of Alex Beard's um, book. And if you haven't read Natural Born Learners, to all your readers, it's a fantastic read. But he talks in the book about a time traveling child. So if we take that child from 200 years ago who lives here in Shaftesbury School or in the area, if you transported them to today. What would they recognize about our society? They wouldn't recognize smartphones, fashion, the language, the dialect, cars, technology, infrastructure. But the one thing I think they would almost instantaneously recognize is the classroom with its rows of desks and its teacher at the front and knowledge being imparted. And I think that really, I wanted to get away from that model as much as possible with this whole project. Oh, absolutely. That's so true. So tell us a little bit about like, what's the difference between the future classroom and the experimental class of tomorrow? As I noticed on your blog that you guys used both the terms interchangeably, or perhaps I didn't understand kind of the difference between it. Yeah, sure. That's a really good question. So the future classroom is the space that we teach in that we've created. So that's a room that 
staff can be trained to use and any staff can book that room for their lessons and it's kind of an experimental space where learning can take place and so far we've had music PE science technology media so there's a real plethora of different subjects that are kind of getting involved whereas the ECOP project is separate it sits as a concept rather than the project and what it stands for is the experimental class of tomorrow and I'm a really active environmentalist I care about the planet I care about the future of our planet and our children within it and one of the things that I've read a lot by people like Naomi Klein George Mion Bay Mike Berners-Lee Gerard Diamond and they're all kind of saying the same thing they're saying that these problems with the planet whether it's plastic or whether it's pollution or deforestation, they exist now and they're they're getting worse and we need to train our students in thinking about solutions on how to fix these things because essentially they're going to affect their generation. So what I did is I created the ECOP project based on our STEM work. So we have 60 STEM ambassadors at school aged from 12 up to 16. Really a classic mix of students. Many of them are female, which is a bit of an anomaly in the STEM world. (laughs) Um, I've tasked them we're becoming this class of the future. So we, we're basically looking at five concepts and these kids come after school. So it's extracurricular and we look at these problems and they come up with solutions. So the first one we've looked at last week is future food. Okay. So I took future food and I said, right, there's going to be a lack of food in the future because population density graphs, you know, are looking like the population's increasing a lot within the year 2100. We, we, we might be at 14 billion people. We're currently at seven and a half. How are we going to cope with that? We looked at kind of the fact that people are living longer because of advancements in medical science. True. And that means that our population is increasing. And I said to them, well, how are we going to, you know, the, the problem is this. Our population is going to increase. There's going to be pressure on food stocks. And we've kind of already seen that with COVID. How do we create really amazing foods that are nutritious and can feed our growing populations? So they had that as a concept and they went away and they created like incredible ideas, stuff that, you know, we wouldn't even think about as adults. Like we had spirulina toast and we had had mealworm burgers, so really high in protein, you know. um, We had these vegan recovery drinks and protein balls and they just took what was already there and just applied that amazing creative child mind to it and came up with incredible concepts. And it blew me away. I was like, wow, this is so good. So we've got plan this year. We're going to look at climate and the environment, energy, travel and transport, and people and work as our other topics within the ECOP model. Wow, that's amazing. And how often do these students meet up and have these discussions? So they come along once a week, every week for an hour after school. And actually, we've run two sessions now. We're having a week off this week, mainly because my diary is really hectic. But the following week, the kids are going to cook in there. We've got a beautiful professional kitchen and they're going to cook their products so we've got five products they want to bring to market and the kids are actually going to the students are going to create these and you know and eat them and try them and see if they're weird combinations of ingredients <laughs> yeah and the other thing i mentioned is they also look at the carbon footprint so they look at the kilograms of carbon per ingredient so tracing it from the country of origin they look at how far it has to travel and the carbon impact of that food as well so it's really kind wow. of transdisciplinary they look at all the different elements of it Incredible. I'm so like taken back for words. I wish these were kind of skills that I learned in school. Like I don't know how to calculate my carbon footprint, you know, like skills like this are so essential, especially in the way the environment is taking its turn. It's, 
it's so valuable. Do you mind if I ask how old these children are? Like, what's the age range? Yeah, of course. So the youngest we've got in the room is 12, and the oldest we've got in the room is 15. Um, at the moment in England, we're not allowed to mix the year groups within the school day itself. Of course. We have to isolate in year bubbles. But the future classroom is such a big space that 24, 28 students, I can socially distance within year bubbles within that space and still adhere to the guidelines. So that's how we've kind of put that in place. Yeah, absolutely. And in in terms of COVID, has it affected your plans for the future classroom in any way or the experimental class of tomorrow? Yeah, in many ways, it's made it more relevant in the eyes of the kind of society because of COVID, because obviously this is a human created condition. We've infiltrated the animal environment and, you know, our kind of need to extract product or whatever it is, food, resources has kind of created that problem. And I think with with the release of Extinction from the BBC, the David Attenborough documentary, that touches on the same kind of things we're talking about, it's really generated a lot of interest in the ECOP project, but also the need to kind of do things a little bit different um, post-COVID. And that COVID kind of woke the world up to online learning. There were many people who sure. know that embrace it, don't they? You've probably got colleagues that are really confident teaching online learning. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And equally, there are staff that it's terrifying. The whole idea of having to run a lesson via Teams is a really scary concept. COVID kind of forced everyone just to accept it. It has to happen. It's going to happen. So get on with it. And, and as a result of that, we've had to invest in CPD to upskill staff and I've had to really play around with my launch of the future classroom because it was going to be a really immersive space with touchscreens and VR. And that becomes more difficult with sanitation and sanitizing. Of course. So there's kind of barriers that we've had to overcome, but it's been kind of fun trying different approaches to it. And we're very much in the experimental stage of the future classroom because we were due to open it as a soft opening in May last year. Okay. Due to having no students in school, or very few restricted numbers, we weren't able to do that. So that experimental stage is happening now, and we're playing around with what's possible, and then it's leading into a massive online launch on the 7th of October, which I'll talk about in a bit, that we're, you know, is, is open to the world. Really. Oh, wow, yeah, that was going to be one of my next questions, kind of like what's the international scope for the future classroom or the experimental class of tomorrow? It's infinite. I mean, the one thing that's really sort of overwhelmed me really is how much interest globally there is in this project that I'm doing. I mean, via LinkedIn, we're getting sort of 15 messages a day from companies saying, this is awesome, we're really interested in this. I didn't mention, and I probably should have done, that the ECOP project is based loosely on some work done by IKEA's research department, which is called Space 10. If you haven't seen them as an educator, Google them. They're incredible. And they're basically an underground research lab in Copenhagen. Wow. And they are already looking at some of the solutions we've spoken about. So they're looking at furniture for the future hydroponics how can people grow food in their own house yes we're kind of like aligned with their way of thinking and i'm using their ideas for a lot of the inspiration in the project so covid's been quite productive in some ways and also it's been quite restrictive in others um so i guess the answer to that question is we're just kind of finding our feet yeah trying to find our way through it yeah yeah of course you adjust with the changing circumstances right <laughs> definitely definitely i'm sure that's the same for everybody yeah yeah yeah, of course. And so irrespective of COVID and, you know, these sudden restrictions you have to put into place, you did mention the students meet up once a week and they enjoy talking about the future of food and kind of all of these other topics. But what have been their other experiences so far and have they been enjoying it? Like what has been their kind of reaction to it? It's been, um, I think it's partly my fault for hyping it up and 
putting like videos and teasers up on the social media channels about how great it's going to be. But there's, <laughs> there's a genuine excitement in the air. The kids can't wait to get in there. So I was just doing some prep work in there, get, getting a few bits ready actually for a chat I was having with someone earlier. And um, there's kids like open the door, peeking in, trying to get a little bit of a sneak. Oh, so cute. So there's, there's a real like energy of like just, and, and I've had so far the youngest students that are 11 in our school and the oldest who are kind of, they're 18, quite long in the tooth, kind of seen it all, know it all. And they're really excited. So we, we've had around, we had about 200 students at the moment within the last two weeks, right. which is pretty good going. Um, we are aiming to get all thousand students in there in some capacity before the, the grand launch on the 7th of October. And it's just an acknowledgement from the kids that it's a different way to learn is the overall feeling that I'm getting from the students there. It's different to what they're experiencing elsewhere in the school. And it's exciting and it's creative. And there's a few that haven't enjoyed it as well. And, you know, they don't like, they'd rather sit and take notes. And they don't like the immersive nature. They find it quite overwhelming. And some of those students sit on the autistic spectrum. I see. I mean, I suppose that also leads back to like different learning styles and different learning needs, right? Yeah, definitely. And just kind of the way that they feel comfortable. Some students don't like working in the team. They'd rather work on their own. And I think if I was to put a percentage on it, I'd say 95% are loving it and they're they're fully behind it. And 5% are asking the question, you know, it's not really for me. How can I, where's my place in this? Which is a challenge that I guess I thought of, but when you see it up face, you know, on the chalk face up close, you've got to start really thinking how are we going to overcome that as well so it's fully inclusive. Of course. And and so I'm guessing that's something you're still in the works of thinking about or have you kind of already thought of solutions to overcome that? No, I haven't. And, I, you know, I'm very much, it's in the kind of embryonic stage of its development. It's um, two weeks old. In my head, it's, like, of course. it's crazy because it's been in my head for like three years and I'm actually starting to see it in reality now. And it's, in many ways, it's really similar, but in other ways, it's surprising me with what kids come up with. They're so creative. I think sometimes we stifle them, don't we? I know um, the late, great Sir Ken Robinson spoke about that in his inspirational TED talk about how we limit creativity, but they just blow me away with their ideas and they think of things that we don't think of in a different way. It's really fascinating. Absolutely. And for teachers who are listening to this right now, do you think there are certain aspects of the future classroom that they could easily adopt into their current standards of learning, so into their new normal? Definitely, yeah, definitely. So prior to lockdown, I was experimenting with two models of teaching, I guess, delivery, within the, which would take place in, inside a future classroom. And there's lots more details of this on my blog, but Model A is essentially a concept that I based on John Hattie's research around academic learning time. And what he did, it, it was an amazing piece of research that kind of should have gone further, but it didn't for various reasons. And he took some research where students were being observed in lessons for 60 minutes. And he noticed that the students that struggled the most with retention and sort of concentration were able to switch on for nine minutes within the 60 and the most able students, 45. And he arrived at this 27 minutes that he recommended as the peak academic learning time that a student should be asked to think and work for within a 60 minute lesson. So this got me thinking well, I'm teaching for an hour and sometimes two. How can I break that up? And the most simplistic form was, well, I'll tell you what, I'll teach them new content that they've never seen before for 27 minutes. Then I'll have a bit of a break, a bit of dirt time for them to mark their books and whatnot and have a chat. Right. And then the second 27 minutes, I'll test them on the knowledge that we did in the first 27. And I've been playing around with this model for three years and I started to bring flip learning in, which is when they do it. They watch a video before they come to the lesson and we'll start by talking about that. 
Okay. And it worked. And the students were like, this is great. So that model in the current climate will work really well because teachers are being encouraged to do less interactive stuff. They're being encouraged to sort of be that sage on the stage where they're stood at the front. So it's breaking the lesson up for the learners to make it two sizable chunks where they do new content, they have a break, and then they kind of embed that content through Q&A, through tasks or, or, or kind of old school exam-based stuff. And, and it really works. So I'd encourage your listeners to have a play around with that and see if it works for them. Absolutely, yeah. And it sounds like it's something that can be easily implemented or easily kind of experimented with in a classroom. Yeah, definitely. And there's two things I would say not to do based on my, my experimentation. Okay. One is don't let the kids leave the classroom for the break. In the <laughs> is what I did initially. I was like, go get Oh, gosh. <laughs> and of course, the head teacher was like, yeah, you need to get back in lesson. That, that's one thing that was a bit didn't go right and the other thing I guess is I made the mistake of giving a stopwatch to one of the kids in the class at the front saying time me and when I get to 27 minutes just stop me and that was a real stress for the teacher it doesn't work 27 <laughs> minutes is a, is a loose sense of the word so it's a guideline rather than that you must do it to the second of course oh, well thank you for sharing that and thank you for sharing what not to do I'm sure that'd be really valuable for our listeners but as we're almost over with time, I have one last question for you, which is, would you have any advice to teachers who are trying to bring in more innovation into the classroom? Kind of like where should they start from or any tips and tricks for them? That's a great question. Uh, absolutely. I think just start simply with one piece of technology and, and get used to that. You can get very quickly overwhelmed with lots of, of ways of different stuff. So I've just written a few things down here that I thought would be really good for staff to try with. If you've got access to iPads or tablets, Google have a thing called Google Expeditions, which is AR, which is augmented reality, and VR, which is virtual reality. If you don't have the headsets, the AR is absolutely incredible. There's about 500 free journeys, and they scan an item with the iPad, and it, it augments that item into the classroom so the students can interact with it in real time. It's absolutely wonderful and it really is a really well thought out app so you can get it as an app base. If you have access to VR headsets, because we can't do field trips at the moment, you can do virtual field trips as well via Google Expeditions. So that's a nice one to start with. If that scares you a little bit, then I would probably recommend looking at something like Mosaic 3D, which is a product that you can put 3D models up on the board. And if you have a touchscreen, the students can interact with it. That's an instant win. And other than that, just reach out to ed tech companies and ask them for some free products. Ask them for six-month trials True. and stuff because they're willing to work with you. And But, yeah, just start just start basic. What, what One technology, one warm technology, one thing that you're confident in trying and, and nail you know nail that. Get, get to grips with that. And then if you enjoy it and it works, stay with it and branch out. And if it doesn't, then at least you've given it a go. Great. That's fantastic advice. Thank you so much for sharing, Alex. No problems. And of course, if people want to sort of get a bit more information on this, my blog, Educational Hipsters, has got some articles about different uses of technology. There's a fantastic company called Century AI that are doing some really exciting things about around about AI and education. And also, we've got a live virtual launch of the Future Classroom on the 7th of October that's live via Eventbrite. So you can book a ticket and you can dial in from anywhere in the world and we'll be kind of continuing these types of discussions with some experts from the field. Oh, that's great. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for sharing. And unfortunately, that is all the time we have left for today. But really, thank you so much for being part of Cast Teacherly. That was so inspiring. I was in awe this entire time. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you. And a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining in today. 